developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you. You define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Lynn, and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today, visiting with me is my friend and colleague, Dr. Sarah Marshall. Sarah's truly an amazing person, as you'll quickly see her passion, power, success, and influencing abilities. Today, we're going to talk about healing. But first, let's talk a little bit about Sarah and her very adventurous life. Uh, Sarah's mission is to provide education and access to holistic healing modalities to return people to connect with their bodies and restore themselves to full optimal health and spiritual well-being. What matters to her are that people are free and empowered to live their life true to who they really are. Her calling is people are whole and connected to the divine. Sarah grew up in Rochester, New York, moved around, was in Salt Lake City, has lived in Mexico, Costa Rica, and the Netherlands. She was a downhill race, ski racer uh, coach, as well as a whitewater raft guide. While she uh, received her BS in chemistry and then went on to naturopathic medical school in Portland, Oregon. A year uh, after moving back to Rochester to be with her family, her father just recently unexpectedly died of pancreatic cancer. It was one of the most incredible and difficult uh, experiences that she's ever had. And if you want to hear more about it, we'll talk a little bit, I'm sure, today about it, but she has a podcast called Heal, and she just recently published her first podcast about her dad, and the whole process uh, of his unexpected death and healing. Uh, She teaches and she really walks her talk. And what's really great about Sarah is she shares her own life, her own personal experience. And uh, it's just been cool knowing her. I know a number of patients that have been to see her. She she actually sees patients uh, via telemedicine. And uh, I want to welcome you, Sarah, to Vision Beyond Sight. Thank you so much, Lynn. It's so good to be here. Well, it's great to be uh, to have you. We've done another podcast together, and um, I love what you do. You know how interested I am in um, alternative kinds of medicine and especially healing. So let's just kind of jump in, and if you would define the, you know, what naturopathy, what the philosophy is, and how is it different from other integrative and functional medical kinds of models. Oh, that's so good. And I love that you said to define the difference between integrative and other functional medicine modalities because we're similar, but there's a tendency to put naturopathic physicians, integrative practitioners, 
and functional medicine doctors all under the same roof, and it's like we're first cousins, I think is the best way of putting it, but we're not the same. Um, naturopathic physicians, I might get this wrong, but I, in my opinion and understanding is, is we're historically the longest and oldest profession in the Western European model of medicine that has incorporated homeopathy, herbal medicine, and what we now today would call alternative and natural forms of medicine and prescribing. So, And how old is that, Sarah? How long has that been going Well, on? that's a good question. In some senses, you know, Hahnemann was the father of homeopathy, and that goes back into like the mid-1700s, so we're, we're pushing 270 years. Um, but then some of our other core philosophies ha- go all the way back to Hippocrates, so that's a couple thousand years, <laughs> you know, and so there's there's roots that, you know, the, the one of the best dis- defining components is it, it's essentially the ancient medicine of Europe would be the way to look at it at, versus like Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine in India, and, and there's a lot of other um, ancient and shamanic medicines of South America and Africa, um, and this is like the the ancient old healers and wisdom that came out of the Celtic and the Germanic and French and Mediterranean areas. And so lots of understanding of herbal medicine and how to use herbs to help the body heal. But then even, you know, more recently, as in like a couple hundred years ago, (laughs) um, (laughs) there was a real uh, utilization of what we call hydrotherapy or nature cure. And nature cure and hydrotherapy are based in the, and this goes to your first question, the principle that I would say is most distinct and core to naturopathic philosophy is something that we say, uh, vis medicatrix nocturae, which is the healing power of nature. And it is a belief and scientifically actually quite backed up that when you align your daily actions of your life with the laws of nature, the body will innately heal. So make that practical. What does that really mean? Well, if giraffes eat the diet giraffes are supposed to eat and they live in the environment that giraffes are supposed to live in and they do the daily activities giraffes are supposed to do, you pretty much get a healthy giraffe. And somewhere along the line as human beings in our wide world of experimentation, we forgot that. (laughs) And we've tried to eat things that aren't really food and we live in situations that don't have us and our nervous systems well adapted to the natural environment that we live in. And, you know, uh, again, around 200 years ago or so, we've had major deviations. You could go back further than that, but you really clearly in the last 200 years from tribal living, being connected to family, um, keeping chemical toxicity at bay, and eating foods that really align with how the body can be in its healthiest and most, you know, energized state. And so in naturopathic medicine, one of the core things is, is like, you could almost think of it like we're looking, I know this is going back a little bit, but I know you remember back when we used to take photographs. And we had film, <laughs> and the film had to be processed in order to get the photograph. You can kind of think about the way a naturopathic physician looks at the body and disease like the negative that creates the photograph. And the way that modern medicine tends to look at the disease is just what's on the photograph itself. So they see the picture in front of them, 
and they say, okay, you have diabetes, and so what's wrong is your management of sugar and insulin, so we're going to change, you know, how your insulin expresses in your body with a drug, and that will alter it. Well, a naturopath will look at the exact same thing, but it's like we look at the reverse, which is instead of saying what's wrong, we're like, well, what isn't the body doing that if it was doing that, balance and health would result? What does the liver need? What does the pancreas need? Maybe the digestion is inside of this. How is the body expressing illness, and what can we do to essentially turn that inside out so it expresses health? Well, I love how you've described that using the analogy with the photograph. That makes so much sense. Um, And uh, before we go on, because I have many, many more questions, especially about the digestion and some of the systems you talked about, but then what then sets you apart from the functional integrative medicine? Good. So again, I'm not an expert in these differences, so this is my sense of things. But what I find that comes up a lot in integrative and functional medicine, and and some of it really depends on the practitioner. So we don't have really clear standards of certification programs or education that says a doctor can say that they are an integrative or functional medicine practitioner. Essentially, like for me to be a naturopathic physician in this country with my degree, I actually took board exams and I have a national licensing agency that keeps tabs on all of us and there are laws that determine how we have to be educated and skilled in order to be able to have a literal medical license just like a medical doctor does. What's challenging in the integrative and functional medicine world is there isn't that clear definition. So you don't necessarily have a legal governing body. You might have different certifications. So essentially, you can have a medical doctor who went to a weekend seminar Or you can have a medical doctor who has spent 15 years studying integrative and functional medicine, and it's hard to tell the difference. So one of the things about the difference is with a naturopathic physician, you can count on and guarantee that they did four years of medical study, higher education at the doctorate level in these particular healing arts guided by a very particular philosophy. And in many ways, functionally, and it's funny to use the word functional about functional medicine, but um, (laughs) in practice, with, with functional and integrative medicine, it's like they will now look at the body similar to the conventional model of, okay, there's a disease in front of us, like say we talked about diabetes, what's wrong? Well, now instead of using metformin and insulin, we are going to use diet and lifestyle, and we are going to use herbal medicine, and they actually tend more towards nutraceuticals, so things like alpha lipoic acid or, um, you know, grapeseed extract and things like that, but they don't necessarily have the deeper core understanding of that, like, ancient medical philosophy, and and it's, it's kind of hard to define because there is such a spectrum of practitioners, but what I find is, like, if, if at one end of the spectrum you've got shamanism and spiritual ancient forms of healing and all the way at the other end of the spectrum you have surgery and chemotherapy which I don't have as wrong or bad they're just very extreme ways of of helping the body heal in the middle point there are integrative and functional medicine doctors and you could almost say that nature paths are a little bit more closer towards the ancient healers in that spectrum And so there's a lot of things that are going to look the same when you see both kinds of practitioners, but I think what's really important is 
what is actually the context, the core philosophy that you're operating from, and where does that knowledge and wisdom come from? And in functional and integrative medicine, there's still a lot of conversation about fixing the body and making it do something different via IV therapy or, you know, like I said, they'll use similar tools that a naturopathic physician will use, but the way those tools are applied is still coming from the paradigm of allopathic medicine, which is if the body has high blood pressure, we want to force it to have low blood pressure. If the body has pain, we want to make the pain stop. And for me as a naturopathic physician, I'm looking, well, why does the body have high blood pressure? What minerals might be missing? What is the kidney doing that's imbalanced? Why is the body expressing pain and how do we get all the way to the root cause? Yeah, the root cause is the key and the the whys. And, and as you and I've talked before, you know, I, my interest and I've had a lot of medical issues, especially digestive issues over the years. And uh, the why of what's behind it is a whole different approach that most people don't even know about, much less, you know, have a bias. So, so my personal experience is that people that get involved in uh, like naturopathy or, or functional or whatever it is, alternative kinds of medicine, and that includes the type of eye care that we provide, more functional vision care. Usually there's something in that person's own journey healing journey that gets them involved in looking at the why, not just going for the medications. And um, was there something in your past history that got you so interested in uh, the naturopathic philosophy? Totally. So I think many of us uh, had our own healing crisis that is where the interest in investigation came from. Um, I was actually born with uh, forms of what we would call atopic disease. So I had my first asthma attack when I was nine months old. Now, I didn't have any language to express to my parents, like, I'm having a hard time breathing. (laughs) So it looked like a lot of crying and uh, my lips turning blue and concern for my breathing. And it took actually until I was 18 months old for it to get officially diagnosed. And then as a child, I dealt with all kinds of immune system challenges. Like it was often around asthma, but as opposed to some people, I didn't have exercise induced asthma. It was like if I got a cold or a flu or some other viral, you know, regular old kiddo run of the mill stuff that we're supposed to have, I would have it. I'd be sick for three to five days. And then just as I started to feel better, my lungs would start to constrict and the mucus production would go up. And it was like I was having an allergic reaction to my immune response. So my immune system was out of balance. And that led to having a very severe case of mono, uh, mononucleosis when I was 13, which a lot of people call the kissing disease. And it's a virus by Epstein-Barr virus that, that is very common. Most of us get it at some point. But for me, it had me bedridden and hospitalized at one point. And then I was in bed for four months between my eighth grade and ninth grade year. And so all of this process, right, had me have to deal with how am I living such that, you know, my body is dealing with this. And my parents were very willing to look at things beyond conventional medicine. I did have inhalers. I literally would not be, well, probably I would not be alive today without the intervention of steroids and rescue inhalers and some of the, you know, necessary things that made a difference for me. And in the life-saving side of it, I'm super grateful for that. 
But what was always missing as a kid growing up was like no doctor said, okay, when you're between asthma attacks, here's what you can do to help your lungs get stronger. Or here's how we want to take care of your imbalanced immune system. Like that wasn't in the conversation with my conventional doctors. Now I actually did see a homeopathic practitioner when I was a kid. And those were two of the best years that I had the least amount of asthma. I also discovered by accident that um, in the state of New York, you're required to take swim lessons as a part of your high school gym class. And when I, which we all hated, right? Because we're high school kids that were like, oh my God, I have to get my hair wet. And I can't ruin my hair. This whole right. thing, we hated it, right? And what was crazy was I started taking swim every winter all through high school because what I discovered was if I swam regularly, I had less asthma. I think it actually helped strengthen something in my lungs and how I was breathing. So those were some of the clues that kind of like had me go, all right, I'm grateful for the drugs. I'm grateful for my doctors, but there's also something more to this. And I've just always had a fascination with how stuff works. Like my mom said she couldn't leave any device around me or I'd take it apart. Like I took apart our telephone and I took apart our television and I took apart our VCR. And like, I was always like trying to figure out how stuff works. And ultimately what that became was a fascination in diet because I noticed if I changed what I put in, I could change how my body was. And I got really, really curious about nutrition in college. And I was at, you know, my undergraduate was chemistry, which is like, how stuff works at the ultimate molecular level, you know, and, and that's where the, the real interest came from. That's so fascinating. I assume there must be something that's pretty traumatic uh, health-wise for you. Uh, I love that you talk about how much you would take things apart. My big question for you is, and then you learned how to put them together. You know, that's the chemistry yeah. part of it. Because I see many, many kids that, you know, try to figure out how things work, but then they leave them apart. You know? That's so, how so it I went like your... my childhood. My mom had to get a new phone. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, great. that's great. So um, what I'd like to know, how you, you know, tell the listeners first a little bit. It's a four-year program to be a, a naturopathic physician. Is that correct? correct? And you're yeah. identified as having a doctor of naturopathy. Yes. And um, <laughs> we could do a whole podcast on the, the political world around um, our degree program and being acknowledged and recognized as physicians. The short version is it is a four-year accredited medical school program. So we actually are working, you know, we get the, the education, but we also are working in a clinical setting with overseeing doctors, with patients, and treating disease with medicine. And that's a very key difference because there are actually people who, there's degree programs out there that are doctorates of naturopathy that are actually like a, like a PhD, essentially. And they learn the herbs, they learn nutrition, they learn a lot of similar things, but it is not a clinically observed, accredited medical school program. So in many states, in 22 states in the United States, uh, naturopathic physicians are recognized as physicians and we are able to apply and receive a medical license. I have a license in the state of Utah and the state of Arizona, but I currently reside in the state of New York. New York does not recognize naturopathic physicians as physicians. 
So I am not legally able to, quote, practice medicine here in New York. I can operate as a consultant who provides advice that then my clients need to go back to their primary care prescribing physicians and align whatever recommendations I might make for their general health and well-being. But I can't treat disease in the state of New York. I can in the state of Arizona and Utah. And there's actually a website, the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians, that has all the information about the different school programs and what states are licensed and what states are not. There's another, like, 15 bills in uh, capital cities throughout the United States, including Albany, that are working on getting licensure for the naturopathic physicians and recognition at that level, but it's unfortunately not universal throughout the U.S. And so it's a key distinction to actually understand that we really are medically trained. We absolutely go through an accredited medical school, and we have a national licensing board process where I spent four days, eight hours a day, taking and writing my medical exams. And, uh, you know, we have rigorous continuing education and training that has to be maintained to maintain our licenses. Well, that's confusing for the world and I'm sure challenging for you, especially in telemedicine and through the pandemic. And and you are right. We could, well, I don't think one podcast would be enough to even to discuss all the political (laughs) and because we run into a little of that as well. And and being in Colorado, I I have a licensed practice in Colorado, then telemedicine happened. And then uh, what a, a patient moved to Wyoming and I couldn't really have a phone consult and, and prescribe if they were in Wyoming. And so it is very confusing, yeah. confusing. But uh, one of the things I want to make sure that the listeners understand, people don't have to make a choice of all or nothing. Um, my, my personal care is um, going to, I actually go to a functional uh, medicine doctor, an MD, and, and I find it really easy to be able to combine if I should, for example, I just had a kidney stone attack this weekend and I did need to get some tests done and some medications and could go to the hospital. It's all under my insurance. My functional doctor knows and now will work on what can I do uh, to prevent and stay healthy. Um, and so it, people don't have to choose one or the other. And, nope. and, and after the break, we're going to talk a lot more about uh, you know, how you really treat patients, what your, your tools in the toolbox are, and, and uh, really what it takes to heal. And so we're going to take a break here in, in just a minute, and we'll continue on with listening. We have Dr. Sarah Marshall, who's talking to us today about healing, the power of healing. So we'll take a break in just a minute now. Thanks. Dr. Lynn will be right back after this. Can your child see, really see, more than 2020? Does your child struggle in school, have trouble with tracking when reading, or resist writing? 
Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's award-winning book, See It, Say It, Do It, provides parents and teachers with specific tools and strategies in visualization and processing. Improve and empower your child's learning and performance in school, sports, and play. Get See It, Say It, Do It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Vision Beyond Sight will help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Join Dr. Lynn each week for a new exciting episode, Vision Beyond Sight. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's book, 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance, has identified the top 50 ways for you to achieve excellent results in any sport activity. Enhance eye-mind-body coordination skills, achieve the mental edge, prevent injuries. This book belongs in every athlete's or coach's sports bag. Get 50 tips to improve your sports performance on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hi, everyone. Today we're talking with Dr. Sarah Marshall, who is a naturopathic physician. And I want to make sure I read a quote that she sent me, because that's going to kick off the second half of our podcast. Health exists in the body to the degree to which you are willing to love yourself. Disease exists in the body to the degree you resist love. Now, what doctor has ever talked to you about that in treatment of any illness or disease? So, Sarah, you write that, you know, it's possible to heal anything. Is that is that correct? Yes, it is. And I want to stand inside of, it's important that we look at this from the perspective of maybe not being individual and looking at it from the perspective of the collective and who we are in community and group and society. Now, I'm not saying it's easy to heal anything, and I'm not saying that it's a guarantee you'll even heal it in this lifetime. But I absolutely, I mean, we just know if you look, again, to the laws of nature, we've seen this over and over and over again. It's like, you know, one of the things we're dealing with right now is the climate crisis and the changes and impact we've had on environmental systems and, uh, you know, locations throughout the world. 
And what has been shocking to many scientists is when we actually pull out the human attempt to control and we let nature literally return itself back, how fast it recovers. Uh, there was actually a movement in Costa Rica when they realized that, you know, if they deforested all their rainforest, they were going to be out of money in like 25 years because they have such a small amount, you know, they're not a very large country. And it was actually in the 70s they had a very forward-thinking president who said, we're not going to do that. We're going to actually base our economy on ecotourism and the preservation of the rainforest is going to be critical to our economy and built their entire systems of their government off of that. And what happened was they had stopped deforesting and they thought it was going to take 50 to 75 years to bring the rainforest back. And they had 80 to 90% improvement in 20 years. Wow. So when natural systems are truly left to their own devices, (laughs) it's really remarkable how quickly things will heal and restore themselves. Now, the challenging part as a human being, if we think of ourselves as an organism, is, well, what is that environment that we need to return ourselves to that would heal and would heal so rapidly and quickly? And modern science and modern medicine puts a huge emphasis on biochemistry and the physical mechanics of the body. And to be totally honest, we've just got to look around and say, how well is that working? We've been doing Mm -hmm. that emphasis for over 150 years. Is disease going down? Are we less sick or are we more sick? Are more people dealing with things or less people dealing with things? What is the normal natural trajectory of a disease? It's not to heal. Most people expect that they're going to have this forever and it's going to progressively get worse, and they're just going to try and mitigate that process. So as not just a doctor and a scientist, but as a person who has now recently in my career in the last five years really owned the terminology of being a healer, I've gotten really interested in what does it actually take to heal? And when you study people who've had spontaneous healing or have made major, major, major changes in their body and their life, you find that the biomechanics is often a result of something else. So can you give us some, you know, like case examples without violating any HIPAA, but, but, you know, what it takes to really heal and give case examples of you know, their quote diagnostic kind of criteria that medicines probably put on them and then how you would view that, that person and how you would move them through the healing process. Yeah. Um, well, so there's, there's one, uh, client that comes to mind who, what she was actually dealing with is something that we would call an iatrogenic disease. It's a disease or condition brought about by medical treatment itself. So she had had eczema most of her life. And, uh, you know, she's about my age. So she was born in the 80s. And the standard protocol was use topical steroids to keep the skin eruptions at bay and the itching, you know, under control. And more or less without even realizing it over the course of her childhood and then her teens and 20s and early 30s, She'd actually had a suppressive, almost addictive relationship to just 1% to 5% topical hydrocortisone cream, which seems so 
innocent. And someone at her work environment had actually said to her something about one of their family members had discovered that they were actually dealing with this issue with steroid creams and they quit cold turkey and what they were going through to rebuild their body from years of suppression with a topical corticosteroid. And it's actually a disease named called topical steroid withdrawal. And about four to 5,000 people worldwide are known to be dealing with this, but it's many, many, many more people would be if they quit the steroids. I'm not recommending people go out and quit their steroids, but I'm using this as an example to highlight what can happen for people. And she had gone, oh, well, this isn't going to be a big deal for me. Like, I'm not actually using it that often. And she quit cold turkey. What she discovered was she was using it a lot more than she thought she was. And she had significant full body, head to toe immune system response. I won't go into all of the physiology of it, but the point of like, how do I view this differently? And what does this have to do with love? Is initially what she was up against is her own sense of rightness and wrongness in herself, that there was something not resonating about that she was just going to continue to use steroids for the rest of her life to suppress this illness. So there was something that had woken up inside of her that said, this doesn't feel right to me. And then the consequence was a very significant amount of symptoms, far more than what she'd been dealing with the eczema originally. And with topical steroids, something we know that can happen is is the more you use them, the more that the skin and the immune system cells around that area actually change and the immune system changes. And so there's a reaction when you go off of it that looks like eczema, but it's actually the withdrawal from the drug itself. But then you think, oh my gosh, my eczema is so bad. I've got to go back and I got to go back on it. And you end up in this vicious cycle, which is what she'd been in. The point though, is really about this thing that woke up inside of her. And then she was on this journey and and she and I actually have talked extensively about this and she's a great example because she's actually gone very public about this and she shares about her own journey a lot um, is we really talk about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey and how she had this call inside of herself that there was another way that it was something in her that wanted to be healed and restored into balance that went against the standard around her. And so she and I went to work on it. Now, physiologically, what we needed to do was heal her body from the suppression from the steroids. Her immune system was completely out of balance. Her gut was off. And also a lot of what she was just finding was like, she ate sugar a lot of the time. She lived off of caffeine. She had a very high stress lifestyle. She was a very driven person and had a lot of, um, uh, you know, she's working on her PhD and working full time and raising three kids. Right. So like very big life. And a lot of those symptoms, actually, of the sugar cravings were a result of the imbalance in her hormone endocrine system and immune system that was just this self-propagating. So as she was unwinding that, we did look at the underlying system. You know, restoring the microbiome in the gut is a critical component to reducing inflammation and toxicity throughout the body. And there's a whole thing, again, we won't get into the details of the different branches of the immune system and how they're designed to keep each other in check. But sometimes either through autoimmune disease or the use of certain pharmaceutical medications, one branch of the immune system actually gets suppressed and the other one gets hyperactive. And that can cause a lot of allergy-like symptoms, things we would associate with histamine, sneezing, runny eyes, itchy, 
you know, red skin, itchy all over, um, those kinds of things which she was dealing with. And so I went to work on the underlying system, her adrenal glands, her endocrine system, rebalancing histamine reactions, cleaning up her diet, which she was impeccable about. And she continued on this journey for many years where we were getting improvement. We were watching the process go through her body and her healing. And through that journey, there were things that came up. Like there were several times that her family members were literally like, what are you doing? Just take the steroids again and all of this will go away. So what she had to discover and go to work on was her own core sense of strength and personal integrity listening to herself and her soul and her spirit and her calling above what the world around her was telling her, finding her voice, creating boundaries in relationships. There was even a point where there was a very big conversation between her and her husband about this journey and the path that she was on, which they are, you know, doing great and together and have a wonderful marriage. But it was like even questioning something as important as her marriage, her career completely altered in the process of healing. These were all things she had to look at in what I find is very common with my clients as we work on their health. You know, we tend to think of disease as something bad and wrong that's happened to us. It's definitely very uncomfortable. In my practice, most of my clients find themselves somewhat through my guidance, but also it's their own innate, they, they, they seem to resonate with this, which is something inside of them is saying, I can't keep on living the way I've been living. And there's another path for me. There's another career for me. There's another way of life for me. There's a calling that I need to fulfill on that this disease is actually teaching me how to find my way to that calling. When I go in the movement of healing and I step towards eating healthier, which is an act of love, taking my supplements, which is an act of kindness, going to the sauna, which is an act of self-care, like all of these things that people can do, it's actually having them pull into themselves and accept, I deserve goodness. I deserve love. I deserve taking care of myself. I deserve prioritizing myself. I deserve putting myself first. I deserve telling that person, no, they can't treat me that way. No, they can't talk to me that way. So this whole healing journey that I support people on, and yes, we do do supplements and herbs and homeopathy and diet changes, but also we talk about what is the communication that your body is sending to you through these symptoms? What is it that you need to wake up to and listen to? And invariably, I have yet to find a single person I've ever worked with that they haven't spoken to. I put myself last. I take care of everyone else around me first. I grew up in an abusive childhood home and I have codependent behaviors and history of PTSD and and trauma that is part of why I operate in the world the way I do. Like there's actually a lot of medical research in the relationship between the rise of autoimmune disease in women and what has altered in women's roles in society since 1950, 1960, where we still hold ourselves to account to be the ideal wife and the ideal mother and provide everything we can for family. And we now also must be an amazing career woman and build this part of ourselves, which I think is valid. It's the the distribution of labor in the household has not altered to match that. Now we literally are just taking it on for everyone. And then we go into the workplace and traditionally women take on the emotions and challenges of the people around us. So we're trying to take care of our bosses and our employees, 
and our managers and everyone else around us. And we've literally seen a correlative rise in fibromyalgia, autoimmune disease, chronic fatigue syndrome, and professional burnout. And it's not just in women, it's in men as well, that corresponds to these shifting roles of family and the work environment. And when I look at that, so much of that has to do with the willingness to have a healthy, empowered relationship to the self and prioritize your own needs of your well-being and your emotional self right alongside of whatever you're up to in your career or your family. Well, you have just totally hit why I fell in love with um, this philosophy, because I experienced that myself, as you know, and at the age of 50, diagnosed with colon cancer, <clears throat> my whole life fell apart. And my big message was you never listen to your gut. Another yeah. message I got was never irritate an irritable bowel. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's a good and, one. And it started me on my whole journey. That's where, you know, I got much more involved in visualization because I worked with a um, special psychologist who who will be on this podcast well as uh, doing RIM, which is a very deep inner sensing and inner body work uh, on emotions. And so what looks to be a little symptom of, you know, it could be as easy as, gosh, this food gives me a lot of gas, or I have this itchy arm from eczema and, and people blow it off because they can take something over the counter for it. But if you really want to heal, there you just have to go so much deeper for the why yeah. and the symptoms to me are just red flags as hello, you know, yeah. you notice what's happening. Um, Lynn, if you would, I just want to acknowledge something in this conversation, which is I'm, I'm a huge proponent that there is no such thing as like drugs are bad and pharmaceuticals are wrong or right. Or like, it's not about that. The way I like to describe it to my patients is, pharmaceutical intervention can be exactly what you need in that moment. Like if you break your leg, you need a cast for six to eight weeks to help support the body while it does some deep healing. It's if you leave the cast on the leg after it doesn't need it anymore and you don't allow the muscles to re-strengthen and your body to find balance again, that can, can become a detriment. There are some people who have certain genetic and, and embedded disease states that it may be appropriate that they're on a pharmaceutical for the rest of their life. There's other people that actually know that there's a point where they want to go beyond that and truly have their body return itself fully to physiologic optimal health. And I believe that healing can happen at that relationship to self. And one of the things might be actually acknowledging, hey, my genetics are the way that they are. And I actually need this chemical that we've invented. Thank God we've invented it. That's going to help keep me in balance. And I can do that inside of the conversation of deep healing and love. It's not like what it means to heal is you'll never take another drug in your life. That's, it's not that simple. It's bigger than that. Yeah. Thank you for really clarifying that. And, and again, it's a balance of finding what works for you and, um, asking questions, you know, being open, yeah. asking questions and, you know, listening to your gut because your gut often will say, you know, I think there's something else as well. And yeah. so I appreciate that clarification. Uh, Sarah, we only have a couple minutes left and I want to make sure you could tell our audience, you know, what do you recommend 
for one thing to do for their health. I mean, there's mm. lots of things we can do, and I uh-huh. think that's part of the problem. It's overwhelming. You know, how can people get started? What's one thing they could do? So I'm my one thing has shifted since the COVID pandemic, actually. And what I have said my one thing is, is to go outside. Go lay in the grass, walk barefoot in the grass, walk on a sandy beach. You know, if you live in a big city, go find the parks and literally get your butt in nature. In whatever tiny little nature, great big nature. That can be the wilderness. That can be a community garden. That can be just a beautifully well-potted flower garden in a neighborhood. But what I've really been amazed at is through this process of the pandemic in particular, a whole nother level of us staying indoors and not being out in the world exploring has happened for many people. And we actually have really solid evidence that nature regulates our nervous system and that it helps with anxiety. It helps with depression. I also do believe that if, if when in doubt, when you're dealing with something, when you're, I mean, I'm listening to myself say this right now, as I've been grieving my dad's death (laughs) is, you know, when you feel lost, when you don't know what to do next, when everything hurts, when there's a lot of suffering, trust in the healing power of nature, just go, go out there, hang out and see what happens. Spend five minutes deep breathing out in the fresh air. See what intuition comes to you. See what inspiration comes to you. See what, you know, lines up with you. But literally, I have had clients who can do very little else. In a, They're not even ready to change their diet. There's no way they have access to being able to cook for themselves on a regular basis. And what I start them with is, can you go outside into some place, a porch or outside of your house on a stoop and sit in a chair and just be outside for 20 minutes a day? It's unreal the difference that that practice can make for somebody in turning the corner. So I I I can't agree anymore with you. Uh, that's how I survived the pandemic. You know, walking miles almost every day, and just being outside. Uh, that was my life. And what's interesting, there's new research. Um, we're seeing such an increase on um, nearsighted nearsightedness with kids, myopia. And the new research shows that one of the biggest factors of why it's increasing is because the kids aren't outside, which, you know, there's lots of other reasons, too much reading, screens, et cetera, but being outside was a number one reason. Well, I want to make sure we uh, let the listeners know that they can uh, reach you on your website, Mm sarahmarshallnd.com, and we'll have all those notes uh, for you in our show notes Sarah is very uh, visible on her website. Please listen to her podcast on Spotify and others uh, called Heal. Uh, I find it very informational as well as inspirational. And Sarah, I thank you so much, so much for your time, for what you do and your sharing. Thanks. You're the best. Thank you. So good to be with you. All right. Bye-bye now.
Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.